The Late Debate with Katie Hannan on RTE Radio 1. Hold your nerve. Thysia can't rule anything out as he promises to ramp up booster rollout. Women of Honour, the All Here's Review, must be independent and robust. And no low-hanging fruit. Council officials say many vacant houses are not derelict. We'll have all that and more on tonight's Late Debate. And joining us in studio tonight, we have Cormac Devlin, Fianna Fáil TD for Dunleary Rathdown and Deputy Party Whip, Martin Kenny, Sinn Féin TD for Sligo Leitrim and Party Spokesperson on Justice, Equality and Law Reform, Gary Gannon, Social Democrats TD for Dublin Central and Party Spokesperson for Education, Defence, the Arts and Social Protection and Elaine Lachlan, Deputy Political Editor with the Irish Examiner. We want to hear from you as well, so do please get in touch. Text us on 51551. Email us on latedebate at rte.ie or you can tweet to at latedebate.rte. Now to COVID first this evening and tonight the three government party leaders have been meeting with the Chief Medical Officer Tony Hoolan and uh, Philip Nolan, Professor Philip Nolan, as concern over the Omicron variant continues to grow. Uh, Elaine, do we know yet uh, what, if anything, has come out of that meeting? We haven't heard very much since uh, that meeting started around half seven this evening, Katie. It was due to be or... uh, tipped to be an update on, as you said, the Omicron uh, variant and how the predictions of that might go with cases in the coming days and weeks. Um, obviously, as well, the Taoiseach is due to travel to Brussels tomorrow as well for an EU Council meeting. So it was a chance for the Taoiseach to meet the CMO face to face before he travels. And of course, Neffet are due to meet on Thursday. and um, That's a significant day because that'll be a full Neffet meeting. And we do know that generally... Uh, when restrictions are to be proposed, they're proposed at those meetings and recommended to government. But the Cabinet did get a briefing from the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly earlier on today, which was described as by some as sobering. Um, he predicted that the numbers would significantly rise in the coming days and weeks and that Omicron will quickly become the dominant variant. And then he laid out to his cabinet colleagues a number of ways in which the government and the HSC are now looking to really rapidly progress the booster campaign. They're talking about, you know, 12 hour days at the vaccination centres, recruiting uh, staff from across the health service and the public service indeed to get involved in that booster campaign. And also asking GPs and pharmacists to step up um, and help out with that campaign. So really the government is looking at, I suppose, at the moment anyway, uh, the booster campaign as opposed to any significant curtailment or further measures, um, restrictions before Christmas. Um, but as we say, uh, when Thysia was pressed on that on the 6-1 News this evening, he did say, you know, <laughs> a week is a long time in the life of a variant of, of the pandemic. So uh, he wasn't ruling anything in or out. Uh, but just going back to that booster uh, campaign and those promises today that we're now going to go from 8am to 8pm and bring in, uh, you know, more staffing and, and perhaps even the army. On October 7th, Leo Varadkar told the Fine Gael party meeting that it was looking at, it was looking increasingly likely that an extensive booster vaccine programme would be needed this winter. Cormac Devlin, that was already 10 weeks ago. So how, in the name of God, have we arrived at, uh, what are we now, 10 days before Christmas? And we're now talking about ramping up the booster campaign. 
Well, I think first and foremost, Katie, I'd say that Ireland is still doing exceptionally well in comparison to our European counterparts in relation to the third vaccination or indeed the booster campaign. Um, and we have, you know, consistently said that from the very start of the rollout of that booster campaign that, you know, we were going to target the most vulnerable individuals uh, as recommended by NIAC. And that has been done. That was started in early October. Um, but, you know, you can see that there's a demand as well uh, from the public for to receive their booster campaign. Despite being told by the Taoiseach uh, a week and a half ago that there was a lack of urgency with people wanting their boosters. And w- well, you can see it in, say, UCD local to right here tonight, to us tonight. Um, you know, there's been a huge demand for people who want to be I, vaccinated. I know, vaccinated. but square that with why did the Taoiseach come into the dole and well, I think spin, the th- basically a bit of a spin line saying we don't have as many people boosted as we'd like because because people aren't, you know, that anxious to get their third dose. Well, I think certainly since then, you've seen large queues at vaccination centres um, and we're trying to, you know, ramp that up. And that's why the response today has been to recruit additional resources. Um, you know, I heard people being interviewed on RT earlier today and they were saying that, yes, they waited about an hour and a half or so, but it, the process worked very well. And we want to see that, obviously. We want to encourage more people. There's been, I think on Sunday, there was 24,000 people that were vaccinated. Uh, that's going to increase, uh, obviously, with the proposals that you've read out. And I think it is important that we see that. And, you know, obviously, the younger cohorts you as well accept, want to though, be... Can I just, and I'll move on and bring, bring you in then. Sure. Do you accept that if if Leo Varadkar could tell us 10 weeks ago that we needed uh, an extensive booster campaign this winter, that we shouldn't be where we are right now? Well, obviously it wasn't at that meeting. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I think it was inevitable that we were going to have a, a booster campaign. You know, you look at Israel, for example, the success that the booster campaign had there against the against COVID at the time. Um, so obviously here in Ireland, we want to ensure that as many people avail of that additional vaccine. And that is why the resources are being put in place so we can get as many late people vaccinated. I wouldn't say it's late in the day. I would say it's actually part and parcel. We've been here before. Um, we've seen the vaccination programme roll out. Uh, you know, obviously we were yeah, in a different space in October. You, you know that yourself in terms of numbers uh, and obviously the development of Omicron, that has all put in the mix okay. of a challenge towards uh, the vaccination programme. But I think we'll meet it as we have done before. OK, uh, Martin Kenny, you must welcome uh, what the Taoiseach was telling us this evening, that Absolutely. this big we, rollout now. We need to see that happen and we should have seen it happen long before now. Uh, I think, you know, most people out there want to get the booster vaccine. They're, they're demanding it. They're going to their GPs. They're going to, to anywhere they can. And unfortunately, they're finding that it's very difficult to get registered and to get the vaccine. And that's that's the, the lived experience of a lot of people in the country, people who have who just got the, the, the one shot, the Anson vaccine in the beginning. They're, they're really people who, who really need to be prioritised. And I, I've my own daughter, who's trainee nurse she got her her booster today because she's in that particular uh, practice and all of that but but there's an awful lot of people out there who have been waiting for a very long time and are still waiting for a very long time and the Taoiseach today was not able to tell us how many more vaccinators are going to be put in place where are they going to come from when is it going to happen no detail all we've got is very vague promises and I think that's been the problem with this throughout all all the way through from the very beginning the government seemed to be able to you know talk a good game but when it comes to actually pre-planning how to deliver they don't do it to be fair in the initial the dose one and dose two yeah. You would have to acknowledge that worked, that worked extraordinarily well. Yeah, absolutely. well. So, so that was delivered on. But, there, but there's a whole lot of areas. We all knew, knew there was going to be a booster vaccine campaign have to be rolled out. And we're here, as you said yourself, Katie, at least two months ago, 
we should have been getting this plan in place to how it was going to be done. The same thing with the, the HEPA filters in the schools. Okay. So many things that should have been done better are left to the last yeah. minute and that's the problem we'll we've got. We'll come back to the schools in a minute. Yeah, Gary, Gannon. Katie, I think that is the issue. It was, seemed like we took our foot off the pedal from what was a very successful fourth and second vaccination campaign. We were administering over 400,000 doses a week at that point. Massively successful. Last week we administered 2,000, 220,000 I believe it was. I mean, we've taken our foot off the pedal. We knew there was going to be a booster campaign. Was needed. it the fact though that the, the people needed to be, re- they had been redeployed onto the vaccination uh, programme because it was all hands on deck when we needed that. But then those people needed to go back to the jobs that they were doing and this was not, it was not anticipated that K- everyone again would have to be redone basically. Katie, I think it was anticipated. There was, a, there was issues of kind of mitigation that we knew were going to have to happen while COVID was still with us and evolving and changing. I think Martin touched on skills, we'll come back to them. But 10 weeks ago, as you said, Leo Varadkar was acknowledging the fact that we would need a booster ca- campaign at the same time. We are taking physical and personnel resources away from those people that would be required to give that. Now the position that we're in at the minute is we're talking about the fear of potential further restrictions while we're waiting for people to be boosted. This seems like there was a lack of urgency, a failure of leadership. Last week in the Dáil, I think what Michal Martin did when he went in there and blamed people for not having the sense of wanting the tour vaccine, I think that was very disappointing communication. It wasn't just since then we've seen people queuing up in UCD. People were queuing up far before that. Katie, one thing though that hasn't been pointed out, and I don't often side with the government, but on this, I don't think it was just a lack of urgency. You have to remember that until yesterday we were limited in the fact that people had to wait five months before they could get their booster. So that that was a limitation in itself. Unlike the first and second doses where we were limited by the supply, this time it was that stipulation for the five months interval. And we have vaccinated or boosted, uh, I think it's around 1.4 million people now and we'll have 1.5 by Christmas, possibly more if this uh, rollout goes ahead or this upping of, of the anti from the government but you have to admit though that the the pop-up centres the long queues the waiting has been a real disaster It has and just before we leave that just to say I was speaking to a pharmacist this evening who was saying that it was absolute mayhem in their pharmacy today the queues the people are so stressed about this whole thing now and you know it's it's a very difficult position to put pharmacists and, and GPs into now And look, what I'd say as well, though, is some GPs uh, obviously aren't participating in the in the scheme. And that's being reviewed at at present as well to try and encourage more GPs, but also pharmacists. You're right. Um, You know, the the Irish pharmacy time for pharmacists like this is where they make, you know, most of their retail. Yeah. And but in recognising that, too, and there is a good uh, reward scheme there in place for the vaccination programme. But I think if we can get more people and more pharmacies involved, uh, we can get more people through the system. And in fairness to the HSC website, it is actually very user friendly. Uh, you can either go select a, a walk-in centre or you can go to your pharmacy or GP if your GP is referring and if your GP isn't, uh, or sorry, if your GP is not participating in the programme, they can refer you to another GP. What, what about people who are uh, from um, non-Irish background living here now and that we know that the, you know, we have quite a significant uh, population now, particularly people from Central and Eastern Europe. Extraordinary stats now coming through in terms of the low uh, take up of vaccination among those groups and really what has been done to reach them and to to try and communicate with them in, you know, in their own language with culturally appropriate material. 
Yeah, and we've seen this with direct provision centres, for example, and others. Um, but you're right, the linguistics needs to be worked on. There is a campaign underway for that to reach the hard to reach communities to ensure that they are invited in to take what is, vaccine. Where is that campaign? Because I know that uh, Graham Clifford, who, who works with those communities, was tweeting today that nothing has been done. He's been tearing about it, but he's not seeing it. Well, I'm not sure exactly where it's at, but my understanding is it's it's under consideration for rollout if it hasn't been already. So I don't know exactly where it is at the moment. But it hasn't been rolled out. That's where it is, unfortunately. You know, and we see that all across the board, particularly for uh, people from Eastern Europe, where there is a, a lot of hesitancy for to take the vaccine and there needs to be a proper campaign to communicate with them. Correct. I do welcome that the ICT system is working better now because they weren't linked. There were people who were down as not turning up for vaccines that had already oh, got the yeah, vaccine. That's that where it, and that, that was a huge mess. But another resolved, another problem yeah. we've got here as well is that when people get the booster vaccine, they get no certification, they get nothing. They're just it's, And I think that that's going to be a problem in the future because for travel, people will be wanting to make sure that they can prove that they've got the booster vaccine or the third dose or whatever we want. And at the moment, there's nothing for that. OK, just a couple of texts in from uh, our listeners before we leave this saying, oh, we're the third best in Europe uh, with our booster campaign. Is not the great line they think it is, Cormac. <laughs> it's pure rehearsed spin that adds nothing to the debate. That's from Stephen Carl on Twitter. Uh, we have a listener text. Philip Nolan was saying COVID was close to being suppressed in early October. Groups like the HSE took their lead from advice like that. Of course, a ramp up would take time. That's from Luke. And one last listener. For God's sake, two and a half hour waiting queues for a vaccine is not progress. Four hour windows are not good enough. Make it a 24 hour window at least in at least uh, centres. Okay, we want to move on and, and touch on the schools issue because I know... There is a lot of talk out there on WhatsApp groups and uh, among parents and among teachers indeed wondering what's going to happen next week and indeed uh, the bigger question I suppose is will they be coming back after Christmas. Next week the Taoiseach saying the intention is to keep the schools open. We know a lot of parents are going to keep their kids at home. Yeah, that may be the case. And I'm aware of some schools already contingency planning for either a um, early um, leaving date from school or indeed a delayed restart date. Uh, and that's just being proactive and not all schools have done that. Um, but, you know, I I can appreciate where parents are coming from. Everybody's looking to the 25th and saying, well, if they're going to mingle with relatives or elderly relatives or whoever, and that they want to make sure that they've reduced their contacts. And yeah. and in fairness, the, the already we've seen the, the reduction in the number of cases it's slightly coming down uh, it shows people are conscience, conscious about trying to um, reduce their contacts and that's important um, But I know but, but isn't that the very point with school you could, if you're sending your child into school you are you know they're now going to be in contact and the, but what I would also say about the schools though in fairness to, to the staff to the principals like this pod system has worked very well um, the communication from schools where, where a child is symptomatic or, or removed uh, from a pod. Katie, the communication I, has been actually okay, quite good um, to, the, to the parents. Come on, come okay. on. In Gary. the last two weeks, one third of all COVID cases have been amongst primary school children um, of that age group. We cannot say that the mitigation measures and skills have worked well. That is a farcical suggestion at this point. What skills have been crying out for since the start of the term back in September, start of the new term, was effective medication delivered early. 
that hasn't happened and the skill community has been left vulnerable as a consequence of it. We've been raising the issue of investment, so for HEPA filters. And you'll rightfully say, actually, this week that Norma Foley has, and the Department have added another 15 million to essential works grants that bring her up to 45 for HEPA filters. But what they've actually done is put that into a minor work scheme where skills aren't even being told um, to get through a procurement process through the department. Principals who are at the wit's end are being told that they have to go out and find their own HEPA filtration devices, being given no guidelines. Skills have been left abandoned. The cases that are rising in their skills are as a consequence of poor leadership, poor communication on the part of the department, and nobody in government should feel proud of how our skills have been treated since September. They've really been left abandoned. I think that's yeah. important as well, Katie, Elaine. because what was billed this week was maybe a U-turn around HEPA filters or the Department of Education finally moving to, uh, you know, get schools up and running with HEPA filters but it wasn't the funding was towards the minor work scheme and that can go on all sorts of things that can go if a school has a broken window they can apply for funding under the minor work scheme if they need you know an upgraded boiler if they've slates on their roof it's a whole myriad of things that covers and while probably most schools will use that grant um, for HEPA filters that is not necessarily what it's for Um, so it's not a dedicated fund to sort out ventilation in schools, it could be used potentially for anything. Yeah, I, I think I think I agree totally with Martin. what Helena said. And I think, you know, the, the, the issue here is that we wouldn't be in this position, at least I don't think we'd be in this position, with the difficulties we've got in schools and the high numbers of cases we've got. Had the government acted early enough, they took away contact tracing from schools, which was a huge mistake from the very beginning. And they also refused at the very beginning for to introduce HEPA filters. Had they introduced HEPA filters back in September when the schools reopened and made sure there was proper contact tracing in place and were, the pods worked to an extent, but the pods could have worked so much better if there had to be proper tracing put in place. We have situations where we have families that said, you know, a child come home from school tested positive with COVID, we were told to self-isolate, but the children's contacts were not traced, but the, fa- the mother and father's contacts were traced. You know, it was a ridiculous situation that we have. And, and really, the problem here is, again, that the government seemed to take the, to, to pull away the measures which are working when they have when they succeed until things flare up again and then there's a huge rush to put them back in again and that's the problem that we've got over and it's over again also, with all of this it's also a case we may not have HEPA filters in when skills reopen in January um, skills well, are they may get not be the, available they may not be skills are going to get the budget very shortly principals will have to go out and source their own HEPA filters it's going to be a seller's market if you see what happened with the CO2 monitors in October for example the department couldn't get them in in time because they couldn't source them now what they're saying is we're not repeating that mistake again so they're giving the money to the skills and the discretionary budget and skills are going to be competing with each other we're setting skills up for failure here Cormac for weeks and weeks parents were being told don't worry Schools are a safe environment. Your children are safe in school. You don't need to worry about we don't need to have contact tracing in schools because schools are a safe environment. In retrospect, you have to acknowledge that that was not the best way to go. Look, I think we have, we have kids in school ourselves and I think, you know, there's been new um, mitigation measures put in place uh, and that HEPA, HEPA filter, that fund of €62 million. Euro, which isn't, um, which isn't n- not for so, HEPA filters. But, but just to say the reason for that is, is that it can be spent quickly um, by the school. So, you know, because if it was so, any sorry, other way... Sorry, can I just way, clarify what Gary's saying there, that, that principals are basically being told, look... Off you go, find the HEPA filter. You work out yourself what kind of filter, HEPA filters you need for each classroom. You source them yourself, you procure them, you put them into school, you apply for the grant. 
Are we actually, is that is that the case, that, that principals are having all of that left on their plate? If, if it just backtrack for a second, if there was, in May, there was an expert review done, OK, about uh, ventilation and schools, classrooms, etc. Which was totally and, ignored. And... And well, dismissed. And we were told well, that the minister was actually taking advice from a separate group entirely that weren't looking at ventilation. But from, but from that particular expert review, um, what was learnt was certain classrooms had poor ventilation. Gary mentioned the CO2 monitors. And arising from that, um, you know, not all schools and not all classrooms in schools will require a HEPA filter. And that discretion and that decision is probably going to be up to both the principal and indeed the board of management. How is a principal supposed to be no this. How is a principal to have the skills to work out the cubic metre of air in a room and how, where the filters should go and what size of a filter she should buy? And what, Does that not seem is, an extraordinary thing to put there's on tec- that? There's technical uh, expertise within the department that's available to schools. Which the school would have to um, pay for. So, no, no, it's from the department. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I think what is important So when is you say it, sorry, just because there's, there's be principals up and down the country who are wondering tonight... Or like, am I supposed to be able to work out for the, to keep my, classes of children safe and it's going to be on my head that I buy the right equipment, put it in the right place, have it turned out on at the right times? Well, one of the reasons why, I mean, I, I've, I've wanted HEPA filters myself. I've spoken about it in the, in the doll. I think what is important here is that the ease in which they can be used and installed. Um, and many deputies from across the house have said this time and time again, that that's one of the reasons why they were looked for. But as I say, some, some classrooms, some modern schools aren't necessarily in need of HEP filters um, but the ex- technical expertise is available from the department which the, de- which the principals themselves will be used to dealing with uh, the department uh, on a regular basis. How many engineers reasons. are available? How many engineers will be available to answer questions in the next week before Christmas from the department? I'm not sure how many That's in the circular. It'll be an engineer or an architect made available in the week before Christmas or in the week after Christmas. It's not clear whether the schools themselves will have to pay for that advice. But how many engineers will be on call to answer a, a phone from Fingal in Dublin, from Mayo, from elsewhere? How many will be available? I'm not sure. Um, well, what's the point? Know, no, but I think it is... Look, the, the funding was an important element of this. Uh, and as I say, all deputies from across the house were looking for HEPA filters um, for, for you know, different schools uh, in different settings. And that funding is important. And that's one of the reasons why it's a, a kind of an agile scheme in order for schools to be able to draw down the funding and spend it you, as they see fit. I was one as, of those deputies every week. I never countenance for a second a school may have to choose between refurbishing a bathroom or buying a HEPA filter which that minor work but, scheme will cover. But there will be a minor work scheme, as you know, annually um, for T- schools to do million, that kind of work. An, an extra 15 million this year. But it is important that that funding is there. It's not there, it's not there for HEPA filters, though. I just have one here now. This is, uh, Katie, I get a €15,000 uh, grant in the minor works grant. I have a quote from before the recent announcement for nearly 60000 oh, That doesn't sound... There is an essential works grant also. Yeah. Uh, for HEPA filters for all classrooms in the school. Really? This is from um, Dan Kerwin in, in Maynooth. I, that seems to me to be an school. extraordinary... The yeah. Taoiseach said last week in the doll that HEPA filters could be costed between 1400 and 1700 euro, which I thought was an incredibly high figure. Other experts such as Ola Hegarty have said they may cost between 400 and 700 euro. But this is the confusion. People don't know where to go and source the HEPA filters because the department themselves have abdicated the responsibility of the under-procurement. If that's the case, that the, his this this principal's uh, quote for HEPA filters is four times the minor works grant that he's going to get. 
Yeah, I mean, Dan's obviously a very large school um, as well from, from what he's saying there. 60,000 60, is what you're saying? 60,000 is, is the quote well, he at has. A at a thousand each, that'd be 60 classrooms. So it's never 60 classrooms in it. I mean, it depends. I don't know the makeup, obviously, and we don't, mm. we don't, unfortunately, Dan. But, yeah. um, you know, but... You know, there's this, 15 classrooms, though. It still exceeds it. Yeah. Anyway, what I'm saying is that it does seem an extraordinary thing that the, the sourcing and the, 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 the resourcing and procurement of all of this is being left in the hands of, of, of principals when they have, God knows... You know, so much else going on. Oh, no, look, and, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, the big issue was substitution, for example, in schools. Um, and, you know, this is the problem with the pandemic. It's over the last 22 months, it has been ebbs and flows of different issues. Um, and, you know, there's been a need to pay attention to certain issues. Uh, and, but you know, ensuring that's, that's challenging that children in, in schools are breathing air that is not infected, surely should not be something that should be put together as haphazardly as this. No, I wouldn't say it's haphazardly. I mean, this is, there's been advice followed here uh, from public health. Um, and, you know, that's the key message. And I, I know deputies on either side of me here have raised it with the minister at different times, as have I. Um, but Minister Foley has been very clear uh, from both from that expert review in May and indeed of the latest advice that she's received. She's followed public health advice. Uh, and I think the, the reason for that 62 million now is to ensure that there's a flexibility and the local knowledge of each school um, will determine whether they need the HEPA filters Just or not. And I accept what you're saying, Katie. I understand principles are extremely stretched. They've had a lot to deal with between substitutions, between teachers being out, close contacts of, of students. There's a lot. OK, I've plate. got another principal who's uh, contacted us here, Aidan Looney, who's a principal at Milton Malbay National School, says, so now we are experts in HEPA filters, contact tracers for the HSE. How long will I wait for this expert advice? Where do I find time to teach? Call it right. Schools were abandoned and principals were also. And the point as well, Katie, is that from the very beginning, and especially if you remember uh, this time last year and into to January, um, when schools were actually closed, the constant refrain was schools are our priority, keeping them open or reopening them is our priority. But yet when HEPA filters, and I know the likes of Orla Hegarty, who is on the expert group, have been banging on about HEPA filters for nearly a year now, but yet we're only getting For much more than a year, actually, Much longer than a year ago, she was on this programme talking about the need for, for uh, mitigation measures for clean air. And the, the idea that the virus has evolved, absolutely accept that. The suggestions and the recommendations in, in regards to mitigation hasn't evolved. We've been talking about air filtration devices. We've been talking about antigen testing, testing and tracing, um, CO2 monitors. That's been since the first couple of months of the pandemic. I think the, the clear thing that the government and, and the department need to do now is they need to give clear advice and uh, whether it's a circular or whatever out to all principals in the country as to where they can buy HEPA no, filters, okay. how, how much they will cost, how to go about this because it's clear if there's going to be a helpline somewhere there's, they're not going to have enough people to answer it. So I mean there needs to be some method of ensuring that they can provide advice for principals over the Christmas that they can try and get this situation sorted out because if it's going to be a buyer's, uh, a seller's market like that and they're competing against each other for it you know they could it's get It's going to be like get, masks at the start exactly. of this <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> We just have two two more texts here. Um, close the schools on the 17th and make it up on summer break when it's safer, says Tom. And then we have Johnny who says, Katie, why 
What I do not understand is the lack of appreciation for working parents in this conversation. It feels like there is an underlying assumption that children have a default mind at home. And I think that's what a lot of parents are worrying about, uh, not just for next week, but for January and what's going to happen if these filters are not in place. Uh, But we will leave that there and take a break. The Late Debate with Katie Hannan on RTE Radio 1. And you're welcome back. Just a couple of updates there from that meeting uh, in government buildings this evening between uh, Dr Tony Houlihan, Philip Nolan and the three government leaders. We we hear from Michal Lahan that the mood in government buildings is described as calm. After that meeting, the coalition party meters conclude constructive discussion with members of NEFET on the prevalence of the Omicron uh, vir- uh, variant here. And uh, there is also a line that the chief medical officer is to examine whether the 15 minute observation period after vaccination is still required. Um, so we will move on. Uh, and I want to turn now to that video featuring Jerry Adams that came out over the weekend. Um, and maybe we can just first hear a clip of Ono Bren speaking on News Talk this morning. I, I said this on, on the radio yesterday in the pre-record uh, with Damien in, in Waterford. I don't believe either the people who produced this video or Jerry went out of the way or set out to cause any offence, but offence has clearly been caused. And I think it is a good thing uh, that the uh, video card has been withdrawn uh, and the hurt has been acknowledged. Okay, so the video has been withdrawn and uh, the hurt has been acknowledged. And uh, he had earlier said, Owner Brin had earlier said to Damien Tiernan on Data Today that uh, he believed an apology uh, would be uh, useful, I think. I don't have the language here in front of me, but he said that, that Jerry Adams should apologise. Um, while uh, this morning then and this afternoon, David Cullinan and Matt Carthy said they didn't see any need for an apology. So uh, what side of this are you on, Martin Kinney? <laughs> I'm not on any side of it. Uh, look, I seen the video the other day and I was just, I, I didn't I didn't take any offence from it or didn't see any offence in it. It was it was to me a very tongue in cheek kind of of, of a, a clip. Um, it was done I understand for a, for to raise funds for a charity in Derry. I think it was file search and rescue or something. Um, I, I, I took no more from it than that, other than it was a, a tongue in cheek. Jerry Adams is, is can be can be comical on Twitter and things like that and does be at times and has been in the past and that's I understand what it was about. Uh, I, I personally I don't see you know. Uh, Did you a think it was funny? I, I thought it was amusing, you know, but I didn't. I'm not not really switched on with that sort of thing. <laughs> you know what? Let's ju- let's just have a quick listen to it so the people if people haven't seen it or heard it. Um, They'll, they won't know what we're talking about. Um, it, it's been taken down actually now, but we have an, a, a clip of the audio from it and it features a couple who are putting up their Christmas decorations. The doorbell goes and when the man goes out to the door, he finds Jerry Adams on the doorstep. Here's the season to be jolly. Chucky are la 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 la. A jolly little Christmas. Thank you. Right. See you out there. Well, with the carol singers? I can neither confirm nor deny it was carol singers. They haven't gone away, you know. Right, and that last line, they haven't gone away, you know, um, he turned to the camera and winked. You could imagine if you, uh, as Anne Travers did, uh, if you had, uh, were uh, a relative of a victim of uh, IRA violence, mm-hmm. that, uh, coming up to Christmas, that well, would yeah, be look, uh, a very uh, difficult... Uh, we, we, we all acknowledged that the huge hurt and pain that was 
inflicted in the conflict on all sides and we, we all we're all aware of that and we're all aware of you know the, the sensitivities that may be around that and all of that uh, the reality is they haven't gone away you know wink well, wink the, well the, the, I, I, I don't know about that part certainly the part that, that Jerry Adams was involved in around you know the, 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 the Jerry Adams was involved in the whole video now let's yeah. not pretend yeah, that he didn't know what happened when, when well, the man went back into well, the well, room Katie, I'm only saying what I heard or what I seen on the clip yeah. that, is, that he said you know Chucky Law and all of that and really where that comes from is that comes from it's a sort of you know um uh, I, I kind of an oppressed people saying our day will come. We, we, we will we will overcome. It's it's that type of a slogan that comes from that 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 era where we had a society in the north of Ireland which were very Martin, oppressed. It was and a slogan it was, associated it, with the IRA. It was Let's a slogan. Was, it was a slogan that was associated with an oppressed people who were looking to to overcome that oppression and that's and that's where that slogan came from. Are you saying it from. wasn't associated with the IRA Chicken Well that's what well, that's I always associate as a political slogan which was about people who sought to have civil rights that and, and, was something we associated with the IRA. Well there was a conflict and the conflict is what happened as a consequence okay. as a consequence okay, of, of, a of a whole lot of other things. What about they haven't gone away you know wink wink. I, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why that was in there. That is You a know quote. where that I know, quote I know, came from. I know what I said yeah. that I don't know who I don't know who said that quote. The person that was on the video said that said that little clip or quote that was in it. But I mean to me, uh, it was, I suppose, a reference going back to something that happened in the early days of the peace process that Jerry Adams said they haven't gone away, you know. Very, very yeah. controversially. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who were we saying hadn't gone away? At that time it was the IRA that hadn't gone away. Right. Gary, I, I'm flat. I think it just needs to cop on this cutification of Jerry Adams. Like, I mean, there is absolutely no sensitivity there to people who um, believe themselves or are victims of the troubles. This idea that Jerry Adams gets to kind of rebrand himself. I mean, what's the point? What's he hoping to achieve by it? And I, I also, I think it's a real shame that Foyle Search and Rescue have been dragged into this mess too because they do some incredible work. Absolutely. And, yeah. and I hope their fundraising is able to continue and move on from this. But I think Sinn Féin, and I don't believe that Jerry Adams done that particular video without the Sinn Féin knowing about it. I don't think that's what happens there. The idea of, I just, what, what's the point? Why do, why do we need a recutification of Jerry Adams, a rebranding of it? Like doing Christmas carols at the door. The man has a history that's whatever. Some people feel it's on the right side of it, some people feel it's wrong. But people feel that you are hurt and they're hurt by the video. Just say sorry. Just put their hands up and say sorry, we got it wrong. Cormac. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen the video um, and I, I don't buy the fact uh, Martin kind of passes it off very blasé, as do other members of Sinn Féin. Um, but you're right, Chucky Orla has a certain connotation to it. Uh, it's hurtful to people um, who have been victims of, of violence, um, particularly the Troubles. Um, Jerry Adams is an experienced politician. He knows all too well what he's saying, what he's doing and the connotation that that brings. Um, but it's extremely hurtful to those victims and their families, uh, not just because it's around Christmas, but any time. Uh, that, that connotation that's there in the video, the wink, the acknowledgement of that the IRA have not gone away is quite unsettling to, to say the least and they're making light of the whole situation but what's furthermore though Katie as you said or it was said I think by um, uh, Owen O'Brien that the hurt has been acknowledged I'm not hearing the hurt has been acknowledged either to, to my right this evening or indeed by uh, Deputy Carty earlier in this studio uh, or indeed uh, Deputy Cullinan I think um, you know it needs to be said very clearly 
uh, that it, the video was wrong, it was distasteful, it was hurtful to those victims uh, and we shouldn't have this glorification uh, of that period uh, pretending, be it from Jerry Adams, Mary Lou MacDonald, any, any member of Sinn Féin um, pretending like this because this harks back to me uh, as the King's Mill um, video, the satirical video that was taken down as well and we were told lesson will be learned, we wouldn't do this again and here we are now tonight discussing this video um, but I agree with Gary, I think uh, Foil Search and Rescue, I don't want to drag them into it, I hope that their fundraiser is successful, I hope this wasn't done to try and up the actual uh, you know, uh, idea that they're fundraising but I think, and I don't think it was, but I think the messaging in that clip is well, very I think, disturbing I think for a lot of people. Rescue were clear today that they they didn't had nothing to do with the scripting of yeah, that. I, and I accept that. that. I accept that. Uh, Elaine, just before we leave this, mm, I thought it was interesting this uh, this morning. We heard Ona Brin out, probably saying what the uh, what would be the reaction to most people of it that you know it was it's something that Jerry Adams should apologise for. But then a few hours later, we had both David Cullinan and McCarthy on radio saying that absolutely no way did Jerry Adams have to apologise. And it was interesting as well because David Cullinan is the man who got himself into trouble um, when he said uh, or he made similar remarks at a post-election celebration event um, and he had to apologise for it and he even said today that he made a mistake and that he apologised for it but yet when Gerry Adams said almost identical uh, or made almost identical remarks to him they were okay, they had been taken out of context and even went as far as saying that people were using it to score political points against Sinn Féin. So I found it very curious the fact that Ono Vryn can say one thing and then um, two of his colleagues say... Uh, Martin (laughs) Kenny, is Ono Vryn out on a limb here? I don't think so. I think Lowen has his view on it and that's fine, you know, and I have my view on it, a slightly different one, but that's okay as well. Uh, Has a line been put out? Have you been told what your view should be on it? No, not particularly, no. Not particularly. No, no. no I mean, all I, all I know, all I know is that uh, you know that it, it was it was file search and rescue that it was done for a charity. There was a little charity clip that was been done. Uh, some people found it offensive. That's that's clearly what we're hearing. And uh, you know, I accept that. Some people found it offensive. There's many people who find partition offensive. Many people who find the type of, of society that was in Northern Ireland offensive. There's a whole lot of issues around the conflict that is offensive, and we un- and we understand that. Having said having said that, you know, this this particular clip was not about the conflict. It was about Jerry Adams doing something which was funny. It may, to not, it, may not, it may not have been funny for a lot of people, and I understand and accept that. But it's detrimental to the process of reconciliation. I'd imagine also. Well, to the process for somebody, of to, to, be on, to be honest with you, Gary, I, I, I spent many years in, in that, that, in that okay. process of reconciliation I and I that. worked with people and I, and I sat down in the rooms and I had hard conversations with people for many, many years and I understand what that's about, you know, and it's not about video clips or anything like that. It's actually not making tea for each other and storing the, 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 up, up the past. It's about trying to work and look to a better, better brighter future and that's, that's what we all Does need to try help, and do. Does this help though, in fairness? Look, it can't. It, it can't help. No, 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 nothing, no. nothing that brings us to a place where we're, where we're discussing the past in a negative culture helps. We know that. So, so would you prefer that Jerry Adams hadn't uh, taken part in that video? Well, look, Jerry Adams made a decision to take part of a video that was for a charity. I understand that and I respect that. And that's, that's, his, that's his business, you know. If it's digging up the past in a negative light, though, surely Jerry Adams should apologise because he knows he has offended certain people. Well, that's for Jerry to, to decide in respect to that. I, I personally didn't feel that it was offensive or that it was meant to be offensive or that offence should be taken but from But you've accepted that others will be offended by this. That, that may be possible. 
OK, we will leave that there because I want to move on to um, this issue. And again, we were actually going back to your party leader, uh, Martin Kenny, Mary Lou Macdonald in the Dole today. Uh, this is following on from the Women of Honour, uh, Women of Honour, Karina Malloy's appearance on our Saturday programme. Um, the review into allegations of abuse in the Defence Forces was raised in the Dáil today by Mary Lou Macdonald. Let's have a quick listen to what she said. The group has expressed their deep disappointment with Minister Coveney's insistence on committing solely to an internal review of their allegations, uh, which will not have the power to compel witnesses or hold perpetrators to account. Essentially, the process will see the department investigating itself and those uh, women have no confidence that this will deliver justice. Why is this happening, Taoiseach? Have you spoken to Minister Coveney? Do you stand over the process that the minister intends to follow? The Women of Honour must have a robust, impartial, independent investigation, one that can compel witnesses and hold accountable those who inflicted the abuse and those who mishandled the women's initial complaints. And that was Mary Lou Macdonald uh, speaking in the Dáil earlier. Um, uh, responding to, to uh, the Sinn Féin leader there, the Taoiseach seemed to indicate that there was some difficulty around a guard the investigation and that a commission of investigation couldn't, you know, cut across that. But, you know, as late as this evening, I checked with the Women of Honour and none of their cases are, are the subject of a Garda investigation. So that would appear to be a red herring. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure uh, about um, the item that Taoiseach was referring to, um, but uh, my understanding is the terms of reference itself um, and them being finalised. Um, and I, I'm aware um, of an article, I think, by Ken Fox in relation to this, as well as your own programme. Um, but I think it is important here that you know, I think their commission of inquiry is what the women of honour, I, I think, were looking for. My my fear about that, and I, look, basically, I want the truth. Uh, these women have spoken out. They've been very courageous in, in, in speaking out about of the, the issues that they faced. Um, and I think it's important that their voices are heard and then respected by a process that's robust and transparent. Um, but what I would also say is the commission of inquiry may take years. Um, so I'm all for you know trying to ensure that there's a good process in which they w are willing to engage in and that can actually gain results for them both for women who have served like Karina Malloy and people who are currently serving um, but but in saying that too the terms of reference my understanding is all the stakeholders uh, have been approached about the terms of reference and I think that the Minister is keen and eager to engage with and hopefully hear back from the Women of Honour. So now you see the difficulty is, if I understand from Karina, who was on with us on Saturday, is that they were told and assured that this, and this was a huge part of the trust between themselves and the Department and the Minister, that they would be intrinsically engaged and involved in those terms in the formation of those terms of reference and agreeing those terms of reference and that they would be workshopped and they would be an independent facilitator and that all of their concerns and their input would be taken seriously. And then they were presented with a terms of reference fully formed and basically told that's the terms of reference there. Everybody else thinks they're grand. Off you go. When in fact... You know, yeah. citing other stakeholders who, in fairness, when you talk about stakeholders, who are the main stakeholders uh, in this? Mm. So for them to feel, they feel like they were led up the garden path. 
Well, look, I, I, I've spoken about it myself in the doll before, um, and I, I think if they're not, ha- if they don't have faith in this process, then it needs to be reviewed. Um, but I think that the minister has said that he is willing to engage with the with the group, um, and hopefully that'll bear fruit uh, in the next little while because it is important that the. Um, whatever process is decided upon, uh, that it gets its work underway, and that we can get results, and we can. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think Katie, it's, it's it's extremely disappointing, you know, and and I think hurtful to these women who have come forward and have such bravery for to come forward and to to you know bear everything that happened and and, and and try and look for a proper independent commission of inquiry that would would get into this that that's what they want and and I feel that it's 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 very hurtful for government then for to come out with something which is basically just an internal review of which which they have no faith in which and, they have and, had there's been several of them exactly. over the last 20 it's, years it's a repeat yeah. of it's a repeat of the failed past and that is the very thing that from the very outset that they said they didn't want to happen and this is what they've been presented with and I think you know government really need to do a U-turn here again on this one also because it, it simply is not going to wash that they can in my view be so insulting to these people who have been so brave and so determined to get a result not just for themselves but for others in the defence forces who suffered similarly Yeah Kay I'm okay. very conscious that the absolute antithesis of restorative justice is the re-traumatisation of victims and if victims of the women of honour are actually telling us this process is contributing to a re-traumatisation, we just need to go back to the drawer and board. A commission of investigation is what they're asking for. It should be independent. They don't, there is no trust in the departmental review. I was also extraordinarily disappointed in the Taoiseach's comments today and I checked in with a representative today and was told similar that there was no criminal, no reason why a commission of investigation couldn't be allowed based on the comments the Taoiseach made today. So that is the case. The Taoiseach needs to come into the doll tomorrow and change the record here. That's a very serious statement to make. It strikes me, Katie, as well, that this is just the latest in a number of issues that have blown up. um, And unfortunately, the, the majority of them do impact women. And, you know, when a scandal erupts, we've bold statements and big promises from politicians. And then, of course... The media hype dies down and the caravan moves on to whatever the next issue of the day is and they're forgotten about and perhaps those promises are not delivered upon. You know, you only have to look at the cervical check issue, mother and baby homes and even more recently the confusion over the the review into the abortion legislation. Um, but you really would hope that these this time that these women are listened to because I think coming out with a statement which they did to say that they were shocked by the draft terms of reference that's not a statement that they will have published without careful consideration and thought and probably out of frustration as well that they really haven't or, or their requests haven't been listened to. Um, now, I know Minister Coveney has said that he'll meet them again and he does want to listen to them and these are just draft terms of reference, but it seems like the draft terms need to be altered considerably before a, a commission is set up and progresses. I heard you speaking to Dahl Cormac Devlin. You were very passionate about, uh, you know, how impressed you were by the women's stories and by the need now for this to uh, a line to be drawn under this. I mean, you must be, pers- you must be quite shocked to hear what th- that those same women now are coming out and saying 
This is a box ticking exercise. This is not what they were promised. This is shocking what they are being presented with. And as Karina Malloy said on Saturday, they feel that they are being railroaded onto an express train that is going to a different destination than the one that they were promised. And that's why I'd hope that that engagement, that offer from Minister Coveney uh, would try and resolve those issues because uh, like Saturday um, when Karina spoke of this, that was the first I heard of any uh, deviation from what we all were told that there was going to be full engagement, that there was going to be their legal representatives, I understand, have, have also been included in, 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 in that process. And that process. was another issue. And they were told they couldn't have a legal represent- uh, which, representative in the room with them. Which and I, that they had, to, they had to manage all this themselves, people with no legal training, yeah. no, no... I mean, it, that, that in itself must worry you if that is the modus operandi this, this whole process needs to be as as, as simple uh, and and easy to engage with uh, for these people for these women in particular, um, but indeed the people who are currently serving as well as those who formerly served. Uh, and I hope that that further engagement with Minister Coveney can resolve these issues. So actually, uh, a commission or an investigation of whatever type uh, can get started. So they their stories can be verified and made sure that people know that it's the truth of what these women have said I mean they've shared their stories uh, in a very brave way Um, and I think that's why everybody uh, wants to see this um, get underway as quickly as possible Okay, well, we will watch the space and we will be following this uh, very closely. Uh, but when the last, uh, before we, we finish up, I do want to get to that housing committee uh, today mm-hmm. uh, where vacancy rates were discussed. And we, were, we heard that they were as high as 11.5% in some towns. And uh, this is, of course, uh, calls uh, for a tax on vac- vacant houses and um, a consideration of why that can't be done and... Um, Really some extraordinary um, information shared at that. Were you you following that meeting today, Gary? I wasn't. I was on a foreign affairs meeting at the same time, but I've been looking at it since. And some of the information is shocking, but it's also not surprising having spent six years on city council as well, where we can't determine what's a vacant house or what isn't a vacant house. I find that incredible. I found um, Richard Shakespeare's commentary today that actually it's not the great solution to the housing crisis or anything like that. A vacancy is not what we see with our own eyes. And it's... Look, what we need in this country is very simple. We need a vacant home tax. We need it now. We needed it a couple of years ago. The fact that it won't be implemented. But sure, there's no point in having a tax if we can't identify what a vacant house is. But, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that but, is as plain as day now. We, we appear to, to have a, a fundamental problem here with the definition of what's a vacant house. But we have the Geodirectory, which has a database in Ireland that was established by OnPost and Northern Survey, and it put a figure of what? 92,000. 92,000 CSO data where they knock at people's doors and yeah. then record it three times and then record that this is a vacant house. 200,000. And yet we have... Uh, Dublin City Council housing officials saying, well, actually, that house that you pass by every day, you've never seen anybody in your life, that's actually not vacant. I mean, they're telling you... Technically. Technically not vacant. And then you have an appeals process every step of the way, and this has gone on and gone on and gone on. Just give us the vacant homes taxes. Um, and I'm looking at the some of the stats uh, for previous schemes. Because, I mean, I, as long as I think I've been covering politics, I've been hearing about... Uh, you know, programmes to bring vacant yep. property back into use. Um, so the the repair and lease Please scheme, uh, that was supposed to return three and a half thousand uh, vacant homes. 
273. 273 delivered. Um, uh, The buy and renew scheme that we've only had 670 uh, homes delivered over five years. That's, you know, just over 100 a year. Um, And we're now talking about uh, two and a half thousand homes uh, by 2026. Again, hardly, you know, given if there are 200,000 or even 92,000. Cormac, help me here. Well, like Gary, uh, I was on the council as well uh, in Dunleary Rathdown. And uh, look, everybody sees a site that's vacant, be it a site or a house or, or a property. Um, and I know from the derelict site register, it's hard enough to get a property actually onto that, let alone when it's investigated. And what I think, um, I, I'm not on the housing committee, so I didn't hear the direct um, contribution from the city officials. Um, but I think the problem is, and that's certainly I've come across, is when they actually investigate, they find that somebody owns the property and for one reason or another, they haven't maintained it to a certain standard. Uh, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm not saying it's all of them. Um, but, it's not, but, 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 but we know somebody owns the property, surely to God. I mean, that's yeah, and, that's, and that's where the CPO, that's why I think the CPO powers that the councils already have, uh, they need to be utilised. But also, I mean, to, to not conflate the two, but there's also the voids as well by local authorities, which infuriates all of us, uh, but particularly people who are a long time on the waiting list, waiting to, for a house. They're looking at the shutters but up on a property. Given what we heard today to from them. those officials... Uh, is there? We need to do clearly do something with the the legislation uh, or the the setup around this. That that I mean, if there is a problem, there's a, there is appeals blocking, you know, these properties going on a register at 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 every turn. Do we need to do something about looking at that? Well, there's two there's two elements to it. Um, the Planning and Development Act is being reviewed I- I next year, but Housing for All also has an an element of dealing with the derelict uh, properties and void properties. So there's a number of different elements and schemes within that. And as you mentioned there, uh, the void scheme, which Minister O'Brien gave money to in 2020, um, has yielded results uh, in terms of properties. Now, some of them are n- not just simple maintenance works rewiring and painting some of its structural works uh, that you know the council didn't have the funding for and the funding was there released so they could actually do the works and that's yeah. important there's also yeah. almost sorry martin um well to be very brief there's also almost purposeful misreadings of the constitution in this regard where people say well you can't touch properties because constitutional property rights in the constitution are so strong but actually social rights weigh heavier than constitution yeah jude made this she made a, it was a fascinating point and that's a cultural issue that comes from a, a sequence of conservative governments a conservative um, law establishments that interpret property rights as being above all else when actually social rights in the constitution hold greater weight but we never see it that way because we chose not to see it that way No I, I think the, the, the issue of, of derelict properties and every town in the country we go past you know we see houses lying there empty clearly no one living in them we look over shops we see them vacant nobody living in them and yet we have people sleeping on the streets you know and that's in this city it's everywhere and we need to have I, I think a big stick for to make something happen. We may need incentives as well, but we certainly need a rethinking I in regard to all of this. And, and government hasn't. Like we don't even ha- have, have it together enough to be able to provide the data, never mind be able to provide a solution here. So I think it's, it's, it's a real failure on behalf of the Department of Housing in regard to dealing with this issue. Okay, because we, they've we've just only, failed completely in response. We've, we've only a couple of minutes left. I just want to ask you about um, that call by mandate for additional payments to be made to retail workers in the run-up to Christmas. As they say an appropriate recognition of the abuse that retail workers have to put up with uh, at this time of year in particular. Uh, Would you be in favour of that, Martin Kenny? uh, Most of them are very badly paid 
without getting abuse and to think and, I, and I've seen it myself in shops where the, where people come in very ignorant people with an anger issue and attack shop assistants and people you know it's 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 totally deplorable and wrong and I, I think we need to do something about that but but certainly uh, the levels of pay scale that a lot of people work in in the retail sector you know the, there needs to be re-examination of that and ensure that they're properly paid for the work that yeah, they do Very brief I think we need to move towards a living wage for those in the retail sector so they're not working and living below the poverty line and that would be 12 months a year as opposed to just a one-off payment for recognition of the fact that people shouldn't be aggressive towards retail workers but a retail but actual living wage in recognition of the work they do Our mandate going to get short shrift in this one Cormac? Uh, no I'm not sure um, I, but I, I, I think certainly for anybody who's mistreated like that regardless of what profession or, or job they're in it's not acceptable um, but I can see that um, you know if the uh, particularly young people who are working in these kind of uh, shops and whatnot, retail environments, it's not acceptable that they're treated in a bad way like that. Uh, Elaine, very quickly, uh, the, the, the big call for this big pandemic payment just sort of fell away there uh, around the same time as they started talking about the uh, multiple bank holidays we were all going to be enjoying. Yeah, they suddenly disappeared. I think the bank holiday will have to be re-examined in the new year. And we did hear that, you know, potentially we could have two bank holidays or a double bank holiday uh, around March of this year, St. Patrick's Day. And then it would be moved in the following years back to St. Bridget's Day. But certainly there has been no utterances from government or cabinet around the bonus payment for healthcare workers and frontline workers that we did hear at the start of, uh, was probably going back to September now at this day. And yet we're in another wave, uh, nurses, doctors looking at probably ICU beds and beds in the hospitals and thinking, are they going to be overrun with this new Omicron? Hopefully not, but they are still waiting on, on news of any sort of a bonus payment. OK, okay. we'll have to leave it there. Uh, the Irish Examiner tomorrow leading with that story we discussed earlier. Uh, Michal Martin saying schools will not be shut early and public urged to cold collective nerve, nerve ahead of the next surge. That's all from us for tonight. I want to thank our guests for coming in to us tonight. Thank you all for listening. The programme was produced by Penny Hart. Research was by Andrew Fleming. The broadcast coordinator was Elaine Conlon and Harry Buckless was on sound. Stay tuned for Cahill Murray with Late Date. But first I hand you over to Greg Allen on the Sports Desk.